welcome to Pop of Passion. Join me, Jack Sparker, comedian and highly sensitive person, along with a guest every other week as we delve into our deepest passions. From being a plant dad to conquering insecurity with comedy. If you relish the memory of an unexpected late night conversation with a stranger about their obscure passion, the kind where you have tears in your eyes one second and are doubled over laughing the next, this is the podcast for you. Hello and welcome to Pop of Passion. I'm Jack Sparker and I'm so glad you're here. My guest today had a cop point a gun at him at age 13. He's a comedian, writer, podcast producer, and let's just face it, a good time. He is the host <laughs> and producer of Good Christian Fun podcast, the Maisel Goys podcast, the Gilmore Guys podcast, and the podcast Inside Voices. Please welcome Kevin T. Porter. Hello, Ooh. we're here. We finally did it. Oh no, I scared my dog. <laughs> Sorry, I was too hearty. Uh, and then the dogs freaked out. It's okay. Hello. It's okay. Hello. Hi. How are you doing today? Lovely to be here. Oh, you know, it's one of those days where it's like, I have a window of time. I guess I'll bake something. I'll bake a new like little blondie dish. So nice. that's what I was doing right before I logged on with you. Cool. Put something straight out of the oven. I love that. Just minutes to spare before getting on the Zoom. It was a, it was a close call, but we did it, Joe. Awesome. We did it, Joe. That we is did. not the first time someone has quoted that on the podcast, which is so funny. Jessica Jardin said that on a previous episode. Another- Jessica is one of those girls where it's like, I think we'd be friends, but we've never overlapped and we've never wow. intersected in the same circle but i know her yeah you see i have no idea if she knows me but i yeah i i think she's so funny when i hear her on stuff yeah she's great so mm-hmm. kevin t porter the question everyone's been waiting for oh my god what yeah. is your passion my passion wait what did i say in the email um you said baking and music oh okay yeah baking and music those are my passions. I mean, it could change on the given day. Totally. But we'll say for now, yes, it's baking. Yeah. And it's always been baking. I love that. So how did for you... For like the last year. Yeah. So <laughs> it, it's like a pandemic hobby that you've like really fallen in love with. It's my little pee-pee. It's my pandemic passion. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's something that was helpful and it was a nice bridge and social excuse to see people when we were not allowed to because totally. once the cdc released the information last year where it's like you're not going to get it from your groceries it doesn't really transfer in surfaces so get takeout pick up stuff from restaurants and then go home then that's when i was like oh well i enjoy baking a lot and i wasn't doing it because it was just for me at that time and then once the cdc said that I knew that people in my life would be less reticent, hesitant, and more open to the idea of like, hey, I made a dozen brownies today. Do you want six of them? And me just popping by, who don't who doesn't want a free little brownie treat? Yeah. Um for uh, you know, for <laughs> for themselves. Um, so so yeah, that's kind of the germ of it and how it started. And so I started getting to a rhythm of like baking every day and trying new recipes and uh and then you know trying to find friends who I hadn't fed before and then giving it to them that way that is so fun I love that journey for you and you have the um 
Kevin Bacon. Kevin Bacon. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So now you've like sort of grown the passion and it's not just friends, right? Because people in the Los Angeles area can order. Right. Yes, yes, yes. KevinBaconShop.com. Um um yeah so it's uh it, it kind of started when a lot of people sort of nudged me towards that and just the idea of like oh you could probably sell these if you wanted to which always felt weird to me it's interesting it's interesting in 2021 to like commodify anything you do because there's right. always some semblance of guilt if you're not like struggling to make ends meet where it's so so the way i mitigated that guilt was by doing it all for charity the last the first like two months of doing the bake shop so any profit i got i just gave back to um this homeless co coalition called sila here in los angeles county so i did it that way and now it's kind of settled. The pace was really wild, especially because it's just a, a one person operation right. for the whole thing. But now the pace has settled where it's just me uh, and in just um, just a couple orders per week. Nice. So did you always like baking or was it really like the pandemic pushed you into this? I liked it a little bit before we started, before we all decided to start the pandemic. But yeah, I would like try little recipes and little treat things before and make like a snickerdoodle here and a marshmallow thing there. Um, but yeah, it was something that accelerated because I had the time and the inclination to do so during the pandemic. Right. But it was something that I just didn't do that much because... Before I lived alone, I just didn't feel like that much like free room to roam in like the kitchen and whatnot. I always felt like I was taken away from people. Yeah. Um, so so yeah, when when I was given all this time and opportunity, and after those guidelines came out of what was safe, that's when it really kicked into high gear the way it's been the last couple of I mean, I guess the last year. I guess it's really been yeah. a year. Uh, to the dot. And it's something that I like rediscover too, because like with the bake shop, I offer four varieties on the website and I do definitely, I've gotten into rhythms where it's like, oh, I've made literally a thousand of these cookies, like of this particular variety. And I'm like really tired of baking. So at the end of the day, what do I want to do to unwind? It's probably not more baking. So it's like it's something that I I kind of had to like once once things settled down a little bit with the bake shop it was something that I like rediscovered again of like oh this is fun to like create and try something out in this context um yeah. so so yeah that's that's what that's been about I just have to say I know this isn't fun for the audio listeners but I've listened to you on so many podcasts for years and now to see you you're so animated it's so fun you're like a cartoon character <laughs> well, yeah, I think, and I think that might be like a compensation too for Zoom recordings and okay. and and doing it um, distance too, where it's like you want to make sure that you're engaged with the other person, right? Because it's like we're not literally in the same space, so like what other kind of I don't know what you would call it, like spatial cues that you would have to indicate like I'm with you, you know, you, yeah, you don't no. have as much. So it's so it's almost like how you use your eyes even more so when you're yeah. talking through a mask or whatnot. So yeah, maybe that's a part of it. I don't know. I don't you know. Just I definitely... really appreciate it. It's like so cool to see you like moving and like you're so <laughs> animated. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you got to keep people engaged. Right. Podcasting 101, keep them on the line. Totally. It's a free flowing conversation, but it's also, you know, it's kind of a, 
every record is like a date. You want it to be going well. You want everyone to be like, hey, we're all still into this, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, no matter how many people are in a room, it's like hosting a party, which I'm sure, you know, like doing this podcast. Yeah. It's like you're hosting a party every time. And sometimes it's totally. just one other guest that you're having over. Yeah. But, it's like a hang But sesh. you still want to throw. Yes. You still want to throw a good party. So um, back to your passion. Do you listen to music while you bake or do you listen to podcasts or do you have the TV on? Mostly podcasts. And I'll listen to music sometimes, but music is more of an occasion for me oh. than it is like a default the way it is for like probably most normal people. But uh, be, I think because there's an element to it where you can't because of because of just like the inherent mess and the ingredients of baking. Yeah. You can't really use your phone that much, which, listen, as a millennial, it's just devastating <laughs> here. So I can't, as I would usually or normally throughout the day, like text friends and talk to people like I would if I was on my computer or something. So you almost want like some sort of like social fulfillment outside of that. Uh, and right. so sometimes the parasocial relationships of listening to a show where you're familiar with the hosts of it kind of act as a nice social replacement for that. And then sometimes it is like, because of you know because of certain friends of mine like sometimes it is literally friends of mine that i'm listening to on, on their podcast so so it's nice to still feel connected when it can be easy where it's like oh i've been working on this cake for four hours or whatever the case may be right. i haven't talked to anyone well if you listen to a podcast you're hearing to someone talk to someone yeah uh, rather than just like music where that's a much that fulfills a much different sort of need on on the part of the listener Wow. Yeah, that's so true. I never thought of it that way. Yeah, I think I think that's probably why a lot of people listen to the shows that they do is to fulfill, you know, that like parasocial thing. Like it's the same reason people will rewatch their same favorite TV shows like Friends or The Office over and over yeah. again, where it's like it's filling the void and the need of, of familiarity when they may not have like especially after this year of isolation and during the isolation, not felt um, connected with a lot of people or in like active communication. Right. With them. Yeah. So it like has probably a part of it. It's been such a weird time. And I feel like it's even weirder getting out into the world now that people are vaccinated. Mm -hmm. It's just like, it still feels like I have a little pause where I'm like, Ooh, do I, I don't know. You know, it's just, I feel like I'm learning my, getting my sea legs all over again. Yeah, everyone's going at different paces. It's really interesting to have gone through the bad thing all at the same time together in, in similar ways, even though everyone's experience obviously was different and better and worse. But like the time that we mark it by is pretty much the same. But everyone's re-entry and what they're comfortable with and what's good and like what's hopefully going to be continued to be goodness and something flourishing and, and re-expanding uh, as the world opens up back again this yeah. next year everyone's experiencing that at wildly mismatched paces no one's on the same page with that there's some people where it's like it never happened and there's some people that even fully vexed they're gonna stay inside no one no one's doing that right. part of it at the same time everyone's got their own their own fears and anxieties and, you know, ingrained trauma in their bodies now, which I fully understand. So it's right. going to be, it's going to be a long time until everyone's on the same page again. As totally. far as that stuff goes. Do you have any like 
big moments that you're looking forward to in this as we're coming out of the pandemic? Like I'm going to see Gaga at Fenway and at Wrigley and I'm like, I can't wait. But I'm also scared. Yeah. Because I'm like, I haven't been around that many people in so long and concerts are already stressful. And a stadium show too. And I've been like, oh, I'm seeing it at like a 2000 person theater or something. But that those are like the capacity of Fenway is probably what, 20,000? Probably more. Yeah, it's huge. More than that. So yeah, I yeah, I totally get that. As far as uh, the big events that I was marking time by was like, when can I host people at my home again? Right. Like 20 plus people in a way that's safe. And when can I go to the movies again? And I did both those things this past weekend for the first time. Awesome. So now like my highest hopes of what I thought would happen in 2021, I'm like, well, I did them. So <laughs> yeah. that's kind of, that's kind of like, like truly, because remembering this time last year and just not knowing like, yeah, we might be inside until 2023 and there may never be a vaccine and just like all the uncertainty and contrasting it with this time of now, of like everything you wanted I, as far as, and there's like little annoying things that are like inconvenient, but pretty much everything I ever wanted to happen again has happened and is happening again. Right. And now, now there is this sort of, um, existential on we of like okay now what and i'm one of these people whose body uh did not have a tough time readjusting like the first party that i went to with fully vaccinated people post vaccine i was like oh yeah it wasn't like oh do i shake this person's hand it was right. it was truly like oh yeah, yeah yeah good to see yeah it was just like slipping right back into it in a way that's yeah. almost kind of scary to me yeah. in in uh in how easy it was to forget all right. that stuff and to forget that time. And it's almost like, well, if I forgot this like really rough, hard, traumatic thing, what else have I forgotten in my life? Totally. hundred percent. So when so, you saw people, did you bring some treats? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, everywhere I go now, pretty much, even if it's just like a small little dinner or coffee with someone, cause I mean, I just really can't, emphasize enough how lousy I am with treats. Not like I just, I have them all the damn time. So it's almost like a game to try to unload them and get rid of them. So yeah. Yeah. First, first party back was an Oscars party. A friend of mine threw. Oh, and you guys do like puns for the work, for the food. Every, you know, it's kind of, yeah, that's kind of the centerpiece of the whole thing is just whatever, awful pun you can do based on the name of the movie or the actor or actress that was nominated for something. So things like the trial, the Chicago seven layer dip or Glenham and close crunch bars instead of cinnamon toast crunch and things like that. Yeah. It's what we all look forward to every year. That is so fun. I love seeing like there's that. Um, I feel like I look forward to people's Instagram posts that I'm not even like friends with and I always look forward to, um, you know, September that Demi has the, your co-host from Gilmore Guys has that video. Mm-hmm, it's like, mm-hmm. there's some things where it's like, they're events, you know, Taylor Swift's 4th of July party. It's just, they're events in my life, even though I'm not involved. Yeah, there's, and that, that so speaks to how media works now where everyone has to create their own teeny tiny little kingdoms unto themselves and the sense of the industry around them where we're really like 
the people you're mentioning are not really beholden to like the larger, oh, I hope this gets coverage in terms of like engendering a, a relationship with their audience. They just do it themselves. And it's like, okay, now I'm going to like cultivate this certain thing and the people that follow me or, or like are part of my audience or listenership or viewers or whatever the case may be, where it's like, they're going to kind of come to rely on this sort of thing from me. And I think, I think it's like really interesting as like a study of, of even like, as opposed to 20 years ago, where that stuff would all have to be filtered through these huge, like corporate monolithic gatekeepers, where now people just do that stuff themselves. And it's just as effective, if not a lot more so. Right. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's like, we've gotten a little more personal. Mm -hmm. There's still walls, you know, there's still boundaries or there should be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. uh, And everyone has to navigate that thing for themselves in terms of like what the boundary is, um, as far as like what they can or what they feel comfortable disclosing or commodifying. Um, Yeah, everyone has to do that for themselves. And it's like an ever an ever elusive line to draw into the sand. Right. So in terms of your passion for music, where did, where did that come from? Like, are you a musician yourself? Um, or was it like a parental thing? It was a tiny bit being a musician myself in the most basic amateur. We have a piano in the home since not in any sort of like truly mastery Mm -hmm. or professional some sense. Like, I have a few little dinky instruments here in my bedroom and I have a piano that I really like playing and that's very relaxing for me. And I think it's fun to try to understand like the bones of certain songs. And even even when I was a kid, my gateway into it was listening to television show theme songs and then trying to figure them out on piano. And what I realized is like, and I truly have no like technical I don't know what the word is, prowess, I guess, I, or or like technical, like giftedness or ability in the sense of like reading sheet music or anything like that in terms of like the circle of fifths and, and chord structures right. as far as like actual music theory goes. But I found out that I have an okay ear. I can like sometimes pick things out and realize like, oh, that is like a, like the most basic rudimentary music theory. Like, oh, that's a one to the five to the minor, to the four, to the five, back to the one. Like I, I could pick that stuff out or like plink out little melodies on the piano. And I remember doing that as a kid and wanting to like learn learn those songs. I got the song book, the piano book for the musical Chicago. When I was like 12 years old, I'm like, I'm gonna learn these songs. And wow. I did, or I was 13, whatever it was. And uh, yeah, it's, it's always been a relaxing, part of my life where it's like it's fun to do I have no illusions I'm like incredible at it but even even like when a musician friend of mine like I had a a friend of mine recently say like we should jam and he plays like a really good saxophone he's like actually gifted at the saxophone Mm -hmm. he's like we should like jam together and play music and no one ever says that to you especially in your adult life and this is like kind of a new friend for me too I'm like yeah we should and so we did and it was just like a very fun sweet like it did remind me of being in your parents garage when you were a kid and just kind of like messing around because there's nothing else to do so in that sense and then just like I feel like my my own musical taste is kind of limited but the stuff that I love I really love like there's certain artists 
or albums or composers I get really into that I really love. And then oftentimes my experience with music is connected to exercise. Oh, yeah. Like trying to sync up with even like it was running and now I do a little bit of Peloton and it's like, oh, what would be like the best? It's almost like DJing your own set, like figuring out like the best possible song choices and whatnot for for whatever it is that you're doing at the time. So I enjoy that. And I enjoy trying to figure out, yeah, exactly how it would fit and what like activates me and literally like creates the most endorphins and gets me, you know, running, you know, the hardest and longest, et cetera. I can't believe I asked you if you were a musician, like, I know you, I don't know why I asked that. Cause I'm like, I was at the Gilmore guys, Talia Hall show Ross Kimball. Oh, yes, yes. And yes, we yeah. sang the theme song at the end and I was like sobbing because it was like <laughs> that was such a special moment of my life like you know with the podcast and the revival and everything. And I remember like standing there and being like I'm surrounded by all these people who love what I love and like these people on stage love talking about what I love and it was just so special. So I obviously know you're a musician. I often watch like on the YouTube when you guys did um, the musical numbers on, in the live mm-hmm. shows. And every time I hear um, certain songs, um, what's that one from the Fast and the Furious? Uh, when, oh, See You Again by yes, Wiz Khalifa. If that's on the radio, Poof, I'm like, say, yeah. yes, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so <laughs> related to Gilmore Guys to me because you guys would like riff off of it. So, yeah, yeah, so yeah. that's all to say I know you're a musician <laughs> <laughs> I know it's funny to like have to like ruin people's inherent relationship no. to whatever the Enrich. song is and be like hey now you remember this stupid thing that we used to do on the podcast. it was only enriching you know <laughs> okay that's very sweet yeah so like who would you say is like your favorite like go-to artist Unfortunately, it's like such a cishet, basic white boy answer, but Springsteen was like the beginning and the end for me, honestly. Like I got into him in high school. I, he's one of those guys where I, I understood and could think about and experience his music in the way that I saw other people experience people that they um, experience artists that they love too and could be conversant about them in this really detailed specific way and have like micro takes upon takes and like really like interrogate songwriting in this different way that I just wasn't used to with any other artist before. I've seen him 22 times in concert um, over the years and just someone who I've had a long-term relationship with for as long as I've been listening to him for 16 years now. Um, and someone who I've like grown with. I started listening to him when I was 15 or 16 years old. Now I'm 31. I started when he was in his fifties and now he's 70, like, just like, wow. it's, it's strange to spend that much time experiencing someone's work on that, on the, on a long, a long enough time frame, And to not really ever be that disappointed. Like there's always like little disappointments right. of like, ah, I didn't like that album that much or whatever, but just, in the sense of the the purpose that they're providing and the work that they put out, someone that just is incredibly reliable in yeah. a way that I think is rare for any artist of any caliber to just be 
consistent in their like stated MO and their goals and their commitment to what they're trying to do as an artist, I think is like really special. So it's been fun and really sweet to experience that. Yeah. It's really cool to grow with an artist. Um, I know I have been growing with Lady Gaga since I was 15. I just turned Mm -hmm. 29. That's math. I don't know how to do, Mm -hmm. but I, remember hearing her say that the way her parents, they had like a bet, I will buy you a piano if you learn how to play Thunder Road on the piano. Oh yeah. And they like oh, bought yeah. her a good, nice piano. And now she's like Lady Gaga. It's crazy. It is so funny. That's, <laughs> that's such and like she a- She was so little when that happened. And it's like, he's still a huge artist. I know. And he straddles this really interesting space in the culture where he has he has as much indie cred I feel like and respect as he does with um, basic people. Yeah, <laughs> which I guess isn't like super unique, but it is interesting to hear like Win Butler or Bonnie Vare be like, "Yeah, Springsteen was like the beginning, of the end," and then to hear someone's like drunk conservative dad mm-hmm. scream for like Rosalita at Giant Stadium <laughs> or yeah. something like that. It appeals to both, and that he hasn't really left the center of some music culture or waned that much where it's like, Ooh, he's in his flop era now, at least in the time since I've been listening to him, where it just seems like he's not really compromised. He's still, you know, is doing what he is supposed to do on this earth. Totally. Uh, With like, yeah, with, you know, a few caveats, but just like, but it's interesting. Yeah. That he still commands this much. Like there's no, sort of um shame or like guilty pleasure syndrome associated with his stuff that the people who are into his music do span like yeah lady gaga stuff who's obviously so like queer adjacent and all her iconography yeah and but then also you know people who could couldn't be more dissimilar like John Mellencamp and Bon Jovi, obviously taking so many pages off his book or like Gaslight Anthem, Brian Fallon, The Hold Steady, The Killers, Brandon Flowers, who just so badly wants to be him in the best possible way um, that it like that it's able to speak to everyone's like specific breed of grandiosity. I find to be so interesting about his stuff, but it but that it always felt like for whomever the person is that he was speaking directly to them. And even like, and it is so interesting because, you know, and he's like a straight man himself and he he's written in character as a woman sometimes for some of his songs, but it's interesting the kind of relationship the queer community does have with some of his, uh, with some of his music. I, a non-binary friend of mine is always talking about how like so many songs of his, like Dancing in the Dark is like a queer song. There's so many queer thematics in the ideas of the lyrics of Dancing in the Dark that a lot of people don't really investigate that much, but then become very evident when a person of a, a you know, an artist of a different sort covers that same song. Then right. it's not just about Dance with Courtney Cox. It's about like, oh, am I in the closet? What is a closet? You know, yeah. it becomes about all that stuff and deconstruction, deconstructing your own identity, whether it be sexual or gender, things of that nature. Yeah. So it seems like there's so much you love about Bruce. What do you think is like the thing that's tied you to him for so many years? Like, is it 
the songwriting? Is it the music, the combination? Is it the community? Because I find a lot of people on the podcast so far, we've been talking about passions, but a lot of people love something because of the community. So I'm just wondering what it is specifically for you about, you know, music and like Bruce Springsteen specifically. Well, community is interesting as far as like his stuff goes because his community often veers in a direction where I don't really connect with with a, a lot of those people in the sense of um, of the kind of people that show up to his live shows where it is aggressively predominant white, mm-hmm. aggressively baby boomer, and it skews a little bit male, maybe not as much male as you would think, but still like mostly like white male baby boomers. Yeah. But then the people with whom that you connect that fall a little bit outside of those lines, as far as like women go or young people go or people of color go who like find connection with them. There's a handful of kids that I met in high school. I still talk with on like uh, probably a monthly basis, a few of them a weekly basis. And I'm certain that one of the only reasons why is because we saw Bruce Springsteen when we were 16 years old. We saw him at the Toyota Center in Houston, Texas, April 14th, 2008. And it's just like every couple of years after that, when he would go on tour, it's like, all right, do you want to come to LA? Or do you want me to come back to Texas? Let's do this. And that would like tie us together. Uh, and that was like a, you know, something that bonded us and wrapped us in, in each other's lives. And a, a new album would come out or some podcasting he did. And we'd be like, what do you think of this? And I'm like, eh, not for me. And be able to mm-hmm. discuss it in great detail. So community did become something where it's like, Man, so many people that I went to a, a Bruce show with, I feel like almost like a bond with, like, you know, they're an ex or like we slept together one time. Like yeah. it feels on that level of intimacy. And um, and so as far as the community goes, like it, it's interesting to experience it in other ways that are probably not the predominant core of like the live show audiences where it would just surely be like 55 year old guys from Philadelphia. They're like, yeah, this is my 19th show on this tour, of, wow. you know, the last eight months. So like these rich guys that just fly around and follow him everywhere, like that stuff kind of bummed me out. But getting to the core of it in the kind of people with whom I would want to be friends with anyway, it just like deepened all those bonds um, that we had to begin with. So, so community was a part of it in that sense. And it's like the people with whom I remain conversant in that stuff and it's so fine to send them whatever memes or jokes or things I see on Twitter or even TikTok about like whatever, like whatever the Bruce joke is. Yeah. But I think, um, I think a lot of it um, boils down to his own sincerity and sort of the thing in specifically the genre of rock music for so long was I, I think about archetypes like Rolling Stones or maybe maybe some punk stuff to a degree, but a lot of it was a vibe of coolness that was all about um, effortlessness in the sense of like, oh, Keith Richards is just such a virtuoso, like, you know, his cigarettes hanging out of his mouth, he's just ripping a solo or it's like back is to the eyes. And the whole thing is like, we're so cool. We're not even like trying that hard to be this cool. And that's like a certain kind of thing. And then you get into like other different kinds of artists, Bruce included, but I would even put like Queen and obviously Freddie Mercury, like the Live Aid performance where the whole thing 
is about, I want you to understand how much effort I'm putting into this. I am working so hard for this. I am a professional. I showed up to do a job. I'm going to do a job as best as I possibly can. I don't care what city I'm in or if the crowd's giving me this or that, I'm going to work so hard to just come at you and attack you. And I think he is part of that breed of musicians and performers that, that, um, where that is kind of their aesthetic as far as performance goes, where it's like the whole thing is like, listen, I made a commitment. It is a wild privilege to do this job where I like sing my songs at you and stuff. So it's like, I'm going to try to give you something that's worth more than your money. That's not just like, oh, look at the, the lights. And he played my favorite song during the encores where it's like, I'm trying to give you a spiritual experience, which is very hard and yeah. silly to try to describe outside of its context, but is so tangible and evident inside of it. Um, so that was a huge part of it. Just like going to the shows and feeling honestly kind of like transformed. And um, and then just like, you know, is he the best songwriter in the world? I don't know, but I think some of his songs are my favorite songs ever written. Some of them are. Yeah. Like, um, is he the best singer in the world? I don't know, but his voice is one of my favorites I've ever heard, you know? So it's like, it's like a combination of things and just like understanding and just getting a map of a person and just that thing that I experienced when I was 15 years old, listening to it for the first time and, and having the feeling of like, oh, I feel like I've heard this song 500 times. It was my first time listening to it. And just right. that thing that sometimes you have with certain kinds of pop songs. I think Gaga, Lady Gaga is yes. good at this sometimes. And there's like other songwriters, obviously, um, you know, like the Brill Building people, the Phil Spector people, Carol King, I would put in this category where it's like they had such a knack of getting at something that is like so like felt like a pebble in your shoe all your life that you can just finally pull out and behold. And it's a diamond. And that's what their songwriting is, where it's like, I think I've heard Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow like a million times, even before I ever heard it once. Like, that's what it feels right. like. And some of his songs feel like that. And then two, I think the long-termness of the relationship I have with him is so appealing, just like it's fun to grow and it's fun to get older in age. And especially with his music, like he has like youthful young songs where it's like, oh yeah, sometimes it's weird for a 70 year old to, to be mm -hmm. singing this. But then a lot of times it's like, oh, he, he was such a little freak when he was a kid that he had the forethought to put lines in that could only age well. Uh, as you get older, where it's almost like, like country music is really good at that, where country music will be conversant in themes of like the economy and anxiety and despair and death and mortality. And so many songs are about like adult problems, like, well, I lost the mortgage on my farm or whatever the case may be. And so much of rock is like, let's make out. I love you. Let's have sex. And he was good at like balancing those concerns and creating like, songs that could age with you and that appreciated in value as I got older. There's definitely songs of his that I love way more as a 31 year old adult man than I did when I was 14 or 15 hearing it for the first time. So I'm grateful for that too, like the longevity of it, the endurance of it. Um, 
and then just like almost his like flagrant uncoolness like he's just so not cool in a way like he was a dad like even watching his shows from like 75 78 80 84 he was already a dad before he was literally a father in his own real life but just in the sense of like goofiness and play and sincerity and earnestness like just like not not what you would think of as like a music superstar or a rock hero in that sense. But then that like inverts on itself and it's like, oh, is being sincere the most cool thing? Is caring about the community around you and making commitments to people around you? Is that actually the coolest thing you could possibly do? So like, it's weird. He like did a little Russian nesting doll in his whole career to like, that you could continue to unpack it in the decades to come in terms of its value. Totally. That is, I love that you have that passion and I love that you shared it with us today. Uh, I have one little, uh, we do a little question that has the word pop in it. Okay. And I try and tailor it to the guest. Mm. So um, yours is pop goes my heart from the 2007 film music and lyrics starring Drew Barrymore and Hugh Grant. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about Hugh Grant? Oh, I'm pro. I'm very pro. And I'm not someone who, um, like, super followed his rom-com career. Mm-hmm. I'm more Latter-day Grant stuff. Like, I, I saw him, I saw him at, like, the pivot point, bridging young Grant to old Grant. Like, I remember the Love Actually stuff, but yeah. now... Of course, him as the villain in Paddington 2 was formative That's why for me, I obviously. It. I was of like, course, we gotta talk course, Paddington. Pro, but very pro-Grant. Obviously, the most pro-Grant is Phoenix Buchanan yes. in Paddington 2. But even in The Undoing, I thought he was very good. And like, you know, he's one of these guys where he was like such a little heartthrob in his 20s and 30s. And you could almost feel frustration on his part of like, let me be old and kind of like... Right. Not ugly, but just like a little, a little age, a little, you know, you know, you know, rough, a little rougher around the edges and be able to do like character actor stuff. And he seems to be enjoying this part of his career a little bit more holistically than he did the first part. I would definitely agree. It seems like he's having more fun. Mm -hmm. So this is the part of the show where we do uh, passion plugs. So my passion plug today is our home, the home of Papa Passion, the Lincoln Lodge, the nation's longest-running independent comedy showcase. It's also a not-for-profit organization. And um, if you'd like to get involved or donate, I will have all the information in the show notes, on social media, on the website. Mm -hmm. And I hope everyone um, can get out to the Lincoln Lodge in Chicago and it's just the best. Um, everyone's been so great with this project for me and I took my first stand-up class here. It's just love the Lincoln Lodge. So thank you to everyone at the Lincoln Lodge and I will give it to you, Kevin T. Porter. What is your passion plug? My passion plug. Uh, I will plug, going back to what we were talking about before, the CLED Neighborhood Homeless Coalition. I have a few friends involved in it and they do... Uh, you know, just direct grassroots organizing for unhoused people in the Los Angeles County area, actual effective neighborhood outreach stuff that actually helps people in a way that so often our local governments fail to do. And if you're not in L.A. or L.A. County and you don't care about 
uh, donating to them specifically directly, find whatever is the version of SELA is in your local neighborhood. For the most part, we do not have any control over federal politics, over who's president, who's vice president, who's secretary of state, but you have a lot of control and power over your council people, your mayor, your district attorney. So start paying attention to that stuff and get involved on a local level. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Kevin. I am going to be embarrassing just for a second. I have to say, before we launch the podcast, my pinned tweet on Twitter for over a year was like, I'm going to misquote it, but it was like, um, if I were to sum up my post-grad life in one sentence, it would be that the day the Gilmore Guys podcast ended, I had to miss improv class because I was so upset and I (laughs) self-soothed by eating a whole bowl of butternut squash ravioli. So this has meant so much to me. Thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, you're so welcome. My pleasure. You know what? I'm going to eat a whole bowl of butternut squash ravioli in your honor later tonight. Awesome. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. So uh, Thanks for the dinner tip. That sounds awesome, actually. Oh, so good. <laughs> On that note, thank you all for listening to Pop of Passion, produced by Christine Ferreira. Please follow the show on social media at Pop of Passion and at popofpassionpodcast.com. I'm Jack Sparker. Go out and be the light, living your passion.